welcome everyone to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, Hooks Orpic, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great, Garrett. How's it going over there? It's it's going pretty well. You know, we're finally we're, we're you know by the time this episode of the podcast goes out, we'll only be you can count you can start counting the hours until the puck drop between the Montreal Canadiens and Pittsburgh Penguins in the play-in series. And since our last episode of the podcast went out when I chatted with Broad Street Hockey's Kelly Hinkle, uh, a game had been played. The Penguins had participated in an NHL hockey game, that being against the Philadelphia Flyers in the, I guess you could call it the the, pra- the practice or exhibition game. But before we get to the exhibition game, as we've been doing for the last several episodes of the podcast, we will... To talk about our favorite number 41 for episode number 41 of the podcast. And uh, Jim, uh, we looked at this, I looked at this list before uh, we started recording. We're, we're, we're starting to get into unwanted territory. And what I mean by that is there aren't a lot of names to choose from. Uh, and the names that are there are pretty sparse and meaningless in terms of Penguins history, but they're Penguins history nonetheless. So I guess I'll go for my favorite number 41. I'll go with everyone's favorite second round draft pick from 2015. That being Daniel Sprong. We, we all know how that Daniel Sprong experiment uh, played out. And yeah, terrible. <laughs> um, my 41, I'll go with the first ever 41 in Penguins history, Shane Endicott, best known as being the dopey friend of Colby Armstrong back in the day, kind of a, Big defensive center that never really made it, but he was a pretty cool dude, so I will make up for your pick. All right, well, now, now that we got the, the number 41 out of the way, we don't have a lot to talk about uh, in this episode of the podcast. We do, however, have a great interview coming up with Habs Eyes on the Prize reporter slash contributor uh, Jared Book. We will get into that a little bit later. Uh, but first, let's Jim, let's talk about the, uh, the, the, the scrimmage that happened between the Philadelphia Flyers and Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, a game in which the Flyers bested the Penguins 3-2 to two in overtime. And, uh, Jim, you know, we've, we've both said in the past that we weren't taking these scrimmages at, uh, you know, we weren't taking these scrimmages with very much, very much seriousness. Uh, you know, we knew that they weren't playing with full intensity when they were just battling each other. Uh, it was nice to watch the Penguins finally battle another team other than themselves, but I don't know how seriously you could have taken this scrimmage. It didn't really, it didn't really feel like a traditional Penguins Flyers game. Um, there really isn't a whole lot to write home about, at least in my opinion, Matt Murray giving up two goals on 11 shots. I'm sure that will be talked about as we get closer to the opening night of the, the, the game one against the Canadians. We still don't know who the starting netminder will be in that series. Uh, but other than Matt Murray's shaky performance, I thought Tristan Jari played well coming in, in, I guess you could call it relief. Although Mike Sullivan was, was probably going to play both goaltenders anyway. Um, I think the other bad note from that game was Evgeny Malkin's giveaway that led directly to a, a Philadelphia Flyers goal. Um, I don't know if I'm really missing anything else of note, but, uh, that's really all I have f- 
from what I gathered from the second. Well, you're week. missing one big thing of note. Sidney Crosby played, played the whole ah, game, yes. didn't seem to get hurt. So that is probably, I mean, it doesn't really matter. A bad turnover by Malkin, it happens. What are you going to do? Um, I don't think the result matters. I It would have been nice to see the Penguins string some passes together a little better than they did. But, hey, it's the first time out. You're playing in a new place. I thought the Flyers had a lot of the same issues the Penguins did, to be honest. It wasn't a pretty game for them. They only had two or three shots in the third period. The Penguins kind of came on and got stronger as the game went along, so maybe that's a good sign. I guess you could read into that a little. But overall, it's you get through it. it didn't seem to have any injuries. Brian Dumoulin blocked a shot with his foot, but he shook that one off. So, yeah, you can just check it off the list. We saw a competitive hockey game in the month of July. Who would have ever guessed it? And now... We get ready for the month of August coming up on Saturday already. I did see, though, that uh, Connor Sherry made history for being the first NHL player in history to score a goal in the month of July. So, uh, you know, when Connor looks back on his playing days, he'll he'll have that along alongside his, his Stanley Cup that he won with the Penguins. So you can't take that piece of history away from Connor. Yeah, that was a nice one, and it's good to see. I thought he had a really good Phase 3 training camp. He was looking a lot better than he did, or a lot more noticeable than when he first came over from Buffalo. So, yeah, he's looking like he's fitting right back in with Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby, so that's great. And then Jason Zucker, another fairly new acquisition, scored a goal in that game. He's with Malkin now. They've been playing really well, too. So if you want to take some positives out of it, it's these, these passengers, these supporting players, whatever you want to call them for the Penguins, have to be good. They have to find scoring areas and make the most of it and sherry and zucker did that so those are some good signs as well so like i said when we started this segment there really isn't a whole much more to talk about other than we will remind you ladies and gentlemen that the first game of the play-in series against the montreal canadians will be saturday august 1st at 8 p.m eastern standard time and uh, Jim, other than that brief recap of the exhibition game, I guess we can go straight into our mailbag segment. We have a, a couple of fun questions here for our mailbag segment. And uh, so, Jim, I'll start you off, like always, with question number one. Cole Del Vecchio is back, and he asks a very fun question that I personally can't wait to answer. I'll let you go first, though. If the Penguins could take one player from an eliminated team for the postseason run, who would you want them to take? Ooh, I wonder if we have the same choice. This is a good question. This is fun. Um, I think the best player in general who's not in the playoffs is Jack Eichel, but the Penguins are pretty good down the middle, so I'm not going to take Jack Eichel, and I'm going to take a somewhat local boy in John Gibson to fix the goaltending issues. That is really, really interesting. I, I, I Because... I'm not lying when I tell you that I had the Buffalo Sabres lines pulled up. Out, out of all the eliminated teams, I've probably looked at Buffalo's lines the most. Uh, and and um, his, the question didn't specify whether this player had to be healthy or injured. So uh, it's kind of a toss-up for me between Jack Eichel, but you said you know the Penguins probably don't need that much help down the middle. Rasmus Dahlin is another interesting pick uh, on that Sabres blue line. But I think maybe the player that I'll probably go with my final answer, that being San Jose Sharks defenseman Eric Carlson, because I don't think you can ever have too many good players on that blue line, and it would just be uh, another great addition in addition to having Chris Letang. So that combination of Chris Letang and Eric Carlson, I think that would be pretty gnarly to watch on that Penguins blue line. 
But uh, that was a pretty fun question nonetheless. Thanks to Cole for that one. Yeah, it was a good one. All right, our next question comes from the Battle on the Boards podcast, who says, why does Sully put so much stock in Justin Schultz? Latang should be the one on the first power play, but Marino's our second-best offensive defenseman and more defensively responsible than Justin Schultz. Having Marino on the power play point would be better offensively and less of a defensive risk. That is a really good question, too, and I'm trying to figure out I'm tr- I want to give a, a decently respectable answer here. Maybe the only reason Sullivan puts more stock into Schultz on the power play is because maybe Sullivan doesn't want to overload the rookie Marino with a bunch of other responsibilities while he's still trying to figure out the professional game. You know, I think John Marino exploded onto the scene in, in great, great fashion. You know, something that you and I, Jim, probably didn't expect being traded over from the Edmonton Oilers. And he was started to make noise out of training camp. And that's really when I started to realize who this kid actually was. And by that time, you know, we had Justin Schultz had already been an established NHL defenseman who had already taken previous power play responsibilities. So I'm my, my best answer to this question is probably going to be not wanting to overload Um, John Marino's responsibilities already while he's still trying to adjust to the NHL game? It's a good question, and I think uh, it brings up uh, a hypothetical maybe with Justin Schultz leaving in the offseason. If John Marino, when he does get more comfortable, maybe we could see it in 2021, in the 2020-2021 season, that he takes more power play responsibilities if Schultz isn't there. But as it stands right now, that's the best answer I could give. What about you, Jim? Right. Um, If you look back, Justin Schultz in 2016-17 scored 51 points in 78 games, and he's a really good end-zone passer, so I think that's what the Penguins are looking at, and that's what they see when they continually put him on the first unit. They need a guy who's going to distribute the puck for Malkin to take a one-timer or pass it down for Gensel or Crosby to get a shot, and Schultz has some of those traits, but his power play numbers are really terrible lately. I personally would just stick with Latang there because Latang's power play production is way higher than Schultz. Um, as far as Marino goes, yeah, you don't want to overload him. And I, I think just the offensive instincts and especially experience at the NHL level, Marino hasn't really run a power play with the kind of talent the Penguins forwards have. So that would be kind of out of role, out of character, and, and a new big step. And I don't think you want to take that big step in the NHL playoffs like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it would definitely be too quick of a jump. No, knowing, kind of knowing how, how Mike Sullivan operates as a coach, you can kind of pick some of his tendencies since he's been here for so long. And uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. All right. Uh, question number three comes from Travis. Should the the Penguins get past the Montreal Canadiens, do you think they'll have an easier first round playing a team that, A, hasn't been playing playoff intensity hockey, and B, is the by team who presumably isn't clicking as they've lost most of the games in the round robin? That's tough to say since we've never even seen anything like this. Sure. Uh, just, just looking at the preseason results so Tampa played on Wednesday and 
I mean, if they weren't at playoff intensity, they won 5 nothing and, and looked really, really good. And then the Washington Capitals are playing right now as we tape this, and Alex Ovechkin has two goals and one assist. So these um, top four teams, I don't know how much they're going to be coasting. Obviously, their their necks aren't on the line as far as getting eliminated in this round robin. But I think these guys are going to be you know, very competitive, and they're going to want to put themselves in a good position and just be ready to hit the ground running in round one. So for part A of that question, I don't know. I'm not so sure that by the time we get to the next round or the first round, whatever you want to call it, that there will be a team there. But part B of this question is a good one because the Penguins, as the number five seed, will be playing or would be playing if they advance whoever the number four seed is and whoever the number four seed is, that's the team that's been playing the worst of the top four. So that's a good position to be in that, you know, hypothetically you're getting the worst of the best, so to say, or if you want to say it like that, or whoever's in the worst form of those four teams or whoever maybe hasn't been playing as hard or putting it all together as quickly as the other four teams. So yeah, I can, I can kind of buy the logic there that, Hopefully for the Pens, it, it puts them in a better position to have to play in an elimination series against the same team every time like Montreal. So maybe that does give them a slight leg up, but I wouldn't count on too much. What do you think? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I don't know if, if I would put massive stock in um, in, in the seating after the, the, uh, the, the play-in series have all uh, finished up and, and all of the seating has been decided. But I agree with you, Jim. You know, for example, uh, say Philadelphia finishes as that 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 fourth seed, and you know, Penguins Philadelphia in in that first round. Uh, I I would have to go. I would still give the edge to the Penguins there. Be you know, because looking at all of the teams between Tampa, Boston, Washington, and Philadelphia, if Philadelphia finishes fourth and they play the Penguins, that would probably be the team that I would want the most out of all of the other teams that would have finished ahead of Philadelphia. If that's how if that's how the, the the seating worked, which that kind of segues into our final question, but um, yeah, I, I would pro- I, I'd agree with you, Jim. I taking the Penguins as the five and playing that team as the number whoever the number four seed would be theoretically playing their quote unquote worst hockey. Uh, I, I'd probably go with that. Sure. And our last question today comes to us from Blutarski, who asks. How do you see the Eastern round robin seeding to finish seeds one through four? His pick is Tampa, Boston, Washington, Philadelphia. Uh, I saw Tampa play in their exhibition game against the Florida Panthers, and they absolutely demolished Florida. Uh, and I know, you know, I, I've, I've said it multiple times not to put stock into these exhibition games or into squad practices until we start playing meaningful hockey. Um. I'm looking at his, his answers, Tampa, Boston, Washington, Philadelphia as one through four. And I'm trying to figure out if I want Boston to be number one or Tampa to be number one, because I agree. I, I think Boston fin- or Washington finishes third, Philadelphia finishes fourth. Uh, if you put me on the spot right now, I'd go with, I'd go with Boston, number one seed, Tampa, number two, Washington, three, Philadelphia, four. Interesting. Um, I'm I just think the Washington Capitals are such a good regular season team and they play really hard no matter what. So I kind of think they're going to surprise, maybe not surprise is is the right word, but I could see them as as you know, they're very deep just like all these other teams. I wouldn't be surprised if they were first or second, but yeah, it's it's hard to ignore what 
Tampa did. And I agree, you can't take too much away from the exhibition, but what you can take is the form, and they just looked awesome. Braden Point looked great. Kucherov looked great. They don't even have Steven Stamkos yet, but he's expected to be back pretty soon. So just the way that Tampa was playing as in terms of the passes they were able to connect and the plays they were making with each other so far to me is, has been by far the most impressive of any team. And I think that will carry over, not just that they won impressively, but looking impressive means more to me. So yeah, I think Tampa and Washington to me are going to be the top two teams from the Eastern round Robin and Philly probably fourth and then Boston third. But you know, one of these games goes the other way. There's not a lot of room for error. So That'll be an interesting way to see, like, who's playing hard, who's not. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure to an extent they all will be playing hard, but just which teams come out the gates may be a little hotter than some of the others. And who's to say right now, but it's sure going to be fun to watch. It, I definitely agree with you, Jim. It is going to be fun to watch in these unusual times, and unusual times have bred these unusual circumstances and unusual playoff matchups and everything that has come with the NHL's return to play plan. But uh, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who submitted a question for our mailbag segment. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in doing so, I can remind you that uh, you can submit questions. Every week we will post a a mailbag thread slash tweet from our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account where you can submit any sort of question you want and we will happily happily take a stab at it. Uh, We love getting all sorts of quirky and fun questions for the mailbag so uh, again uh, thanks to everyone who sent in questions this week and uh, Jim flipping the switch like I mentioned at the start of the show we have a fantastic interview with uh, Montreal's SB Nation blog Habs Eyes on the Prize thanks to uh, Jared Book the deputy managing editor of Eyes on the Prize so Jim if you're all set I'm all set we what we will do is take a quick break And once we come out of the break, we will launch you straight into that interview with Eyes on the Prize Deputy Managing Editor Jared Book. All right, let's learn about the Canadians. Our guest for this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast is the uh, Deputy Managing Editor of Eyes on the Prize, the Montreal Canadiens SB Nation blog. He is Jared Book. Jared, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, Jared, a lot has been made of this series in Pittsburgh, uh, and we've known for a while now that uh, the Penguins and the Canadians would be facing off in this qualifying round to determine who would go on to the traditional first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And with that, you know, we've written extensively about how the Penguins feel and how they're shaping up against the Canadians. But uh, what are the expectations of the Canadians and the Montreal fans with this crazy new format that the NHL has laid out. It's, it's so strange. And I'm sure it's, it's as strange for uh, you guys and, and your perspective coming from a team that was so close to, you know, being one of the automatic uh, teams in the first round as it is for, for Canadians fans, if not more so just because this is a team that sold at the deadline was basically stocking their, their farm team with, with prospects to, to make a playoff run in the AHL. And, and suddenly they're, they're thrown into this, whatever it is, three, you know, best of five series where, you know, if they lose, they, they can, you know, pick ninth and possibly first overall. And if they win, they are, are basically picking 16th. And 
it's just such a drastic change than from what it was, you know, four months ago. Because, you know, like I said, this team was selling at the deadline. They they were collecting draft picks, and it's it's just a, a such a drastic turnaround that, you know, if if they do well in you know a five game series, they they could suddenly be in the first round of the playoffs, and it's just uh, it's it's a little bit strange uh, at this point, and. and you know, some of the fan bases is a little conflicted, given that the top prospect in the NHL draft just happens to be from the area. Yeah, it's definitely strange indeed when you think about the possibilities and that we didn't know until a couple months ago that Montreal was going to be in or the Penguins were going to be in in the qualification or that there even was going to be a playoff. So, yeah, it's been in quite the twist and turns of events. But with that in mind, um, what do you think about as kind of because listening to your answer, it almost sounds like the team isn't really built or, you know, has been set up that they weren't expecting any postseason action now that it's here. And now that, you know, short series, anything could happen. Do you think it's in the best interest really long term for Montreal to win the series? Because like you mentioned, if they win this series, they'll move on and play the number one seed, which could be Tampa or Boston, a really strong team and then be eliminated in a seven-game series and that point pick 16th, do you think in the long term it might actually be better for Montreal to lose, or do you think that's considered at least among the fans as a talking point that you know it, it might not even be the best thing to win this? I, I think it depends. I, I think that there's definitely, definitely a, a segment of the fan base that is saying, listen, lose this, get a top 10 pick, possibly get the first overall pick, and, you know, just kind of press reset and don't let this change the, the fact that this team was was rebuilding. But I think most fans, may, maybe not even most, but I think definitely the organization, and I know probably most fans, are probably looking at this as this was a team that had the most successful season in NHL history to miss the playoffs just a year ago. They they had over 90 points. It was the most points that this franchise ever had while missing the playoffs. They actually made the playoffs with less points often. Uh, so I, I think that this is a, a young team that deserve not deserves, but needs some playoff experience. And if you see that they end up winning this series, you know, on the backs of players like Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kutkaniemi and Philip Deneau and Max Domi, then you can be like, okay, the core of this team is is close to being, you know, where we need to be. And maybe you don't need necessarily uh, a top 10 talent or, or things like that. So, you know, you're, you're it's worth the sacrifice. I mean, look at last year. Last year they picked 15th in the end of Cole Caulfield. So, you know, even picking 16th, and uh, unless they make the third round of the playoffs, that's where they'll be if they win the series because they'll have the worst record of any team uh, that makes the playoffs. So, I definitely think that there's some kind of uh, you know hesitation, but I think if this team is led by its young core, then the argument is that okay, this young core is good enough. You know, we'll, we'll take the the experience, and we know the answer now that this young core is good enough. So I, I think that this is definitely an opportunity that really doesn't have, even the worst case scenario is not really a worst case. You know, I don't think it's ever a worst case to have your team make the playoffs. 
Well put. Yeah, I, I think when you're playing from the 12th seed and you make the playoffs, that's kind of like playing with house money at that point. And along the lines with those young players, uh, a previous high pick, Kokoniemi, um, Nick Suzuki, who are some of those other, or, or if you could just go in a little detail about what you think the role that those guys will play and, you know, some fresh faces for Penguins fans to learn about probably. Yeah, Kokoniemi is, is probably in the most in- interesting position because had the season gone on like normal, he likely would have finished the season in the AHL. That's where he was when the season ended. He had gotten hurt, so that obviously plays a, a, a plays a part in it. But th- there was no expectation that he was going to get a recall, you know, late in the season. And he was working on his game, working on his confidence. And then when training camp started, they put him on the third line with two of the most defensively responsible wingers on the team. So he's going to get an opportunity to really break out in, in, in this kind of thing. And, you know, when you look at Pittsburgh, obviously, you know, loaded top two lines, Philip Deneau can only play against one of those lines at a time. You can't, you can't, you know, play Philip Deneau 40 minutes and, and cover both lines. So it's a really unique opportunity for Kat Kaniemi because he's just based on who he's playing with. Uh, Nick Suzuki is going to have that opportunity as well. And Nick Suzuki has had a great year. And it's funny because even though Kat Kaniemi is in the second season, Suzuki's in his first season, Suzuki is a year older than Kat Kaniemi. But I think that there are two players that are their, – their offensive upside is probably similar, but Suzuki is more ready right now to play an offensive role, whereas Kat Kaniemi is hasn't found that part of his game yet. And it's it's funny because when you think about a top three pick, you think about a guy who's supposed to make an impact right away. And Kat Kaniemi was great last year. You know, one of the best players in terms of, of possession and Corsi uh, among players who played the entire season for their teams. And he was, I think, the youngest player in the NHL last year. This year, he's still one of the top 10 youngest players in the league just because of where his birthday is. And he struggled a little bit and, and didn't have his confidence uh, dealt with some injuries. So this is a really good opportunity for him to kind of, you mentioned before playing of house money. That's kind of what he's doing. You know, he was in the AHL for the rest of the year. And now all of a sudden he's uh, preparing for a playoff series against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. So uh, it's, it's kind of a, a house money situation for him. But yeah, those, those are two guys that are, are going to be telling of, of how, how far this new kind of rebuild uh, on the fly for the Canadians is going to go. And it's really going to center around those two guys. Jared, uh, f- really over the last couple of days, we've, we've slowly started to see uh, a lot of the playoff teams finally uh, branch out of their interest squad scrimmages and finally get to play some actual, uh, not meaningful hockey, but hockey nonetheless, other than playing against their teammates. And in that case, the Canadians did have an exhibition game against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Tuesday, July 28th, in which the Canadians lost to the Maple Leafs by a score of 4-2. to two. Uh, Was there anything that caught your eye in that exhibition game that maybe, you know, there was maybe some flashing red light going off in your head saying, oh no, this doesn't look good, this doesn't look good, this isn't how the team is supposed to be playing? Or did, did you view the exhibition game as more or less, eh, it's, it's a tune-up, these guys aren't playing with full intensity, and, uh, you know, these guys probably just needed to be out there and, and try and shake some of that rust off ahead of the, the play-in matchup. A little bit of both. Uh, in terms of a flashing red light, 
the power play was just awful. Uh, anytime you finish minus two on your power play, it, it's not it's not a great uh, it's not a great sign. And, and obviously, this is a power play that was struggling throughout the season as well. So, you know, th- th- a lot of talk in practice and the training camp was like, oh, they they have a new look, a new personnel, and then they come out and do this. But at the same time, it's a power play that relies on timing and, you know, kind of cohesion and, and chemistry. And that's often the last thing to come back when you're talking about a long layoff in game action. You know, passes are going to be off and, and power plays that don't have superstars. And, and let's face it, Montreal does not have an offensive superstar is going to rely on teamwork and passing. And that is one of the things that come with time. So, it's it's kind of a little bit of both, but uh, again, uh, it is just a one game, and they're going to obviously work on it. But yeah, the, the power play needs to be good, especially in the playoffs when uh, you know it might not hurt them as much because you're not going to get as many opportunities on the power play. In in you know if, if it's officiated like playoff games are going to be officiated, we don't we have no idea what, what the the standard is going to be and anything like that. So yeah, th- that's that's one of the things that that stuck out, but. Another thing that stuck out is is how they're going to try and, you know, play the the Penguins' top lines. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, Philip Deneau is, is going to get try and get Crosby. That's going to be Claude Julien's mission in terms of who he's going to play against. But then you have to cover, you know, Malkin's line and who's going to do that. And if you look at the centers, you have Suzuki and Kutkiniemi, who I mentioned are, are very young. You have Max Domi, who is going to be playing his first playoff uh, hockey or postseason hockey, whatever you want to call it, but he's not known for his defense either. So it's going to be interesting. Toronto is actually a pretty good team to match up against because they also have two very good lines. And the the ice time was kind of rolling four lines and, and things like that. So we don't really have a a good indication of what's going to happen. But it did give them a taste. I think Suzuki and Kutkinami both played four minutes against the Matthews line. Uh, at even strength. So I think that it was a little bit of, of, you know, the whole series is going to be a little bit of trial by fire. And, you know, this, like I said, this, they're kind of in a bad spot because they, they were, you know, they sold off Ilya Kovalchuk, Marco Scandella, Nick Cousins, Nate Thompson at the deadline. Those are four guys that, you you know, you would like to have in your lineup right now uh, if you knew you were going to go against uh, the Penguins in the series. So it's a little bit of a... Uh, an awkward position, I think, for for the entire team. But uh, I, I think that they're just going to try and go and, and see what happens. Like I said, there's not really much expectations. Not many not many people are expecting them to win uh, the series. So if whatever happens, I think is you know no lose situation for them. Very interesting. And um, what I think Penguins fans are learning or starting to learn a little bit is that Montreal was a great process team in terms of puck possession in the 2019-20 regular season, they carried the just sheer quantity of shots for versus shots against, especially shot attempts. They did really well and seemed like a very volume-heavy shooting team. Um, what do you make of that in a short series? And, you know, is, is that kind of baked into the identity, I think, of a Claude Julian team? Or how does that... Um, work as a team strength or or something along those lines what do you think yeah i think you know what it does is it it rely it's a system that relies on goaltending on both ends because you know if you put 40 shots on the other goaltender and they're not necessarily playing that well 
you're going to get, you know, maybe three or four goals out of it. The, the, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a team that doesn't really have that much finishing talent. They don't really make lives hard for the goaltenders. And that's what these kind of next level advanced stats, if I can call them that, are, are showing with the Canadians is that, yeah, they're, they're shooting from the right places. They're getting lots of volume. But what they're doing before those shots is not really making life difficult for the defense. And I think that's kind of the the next thing that they have to work on is that, you know, making those cross-ice passes, those, you know, the, the Royal Road passes, like they call them, you know, passes into the slot, across the slot, making the goaltender move. And, and I think that that's something that, that's going to have to work at least until they get, you know, talent that can score at will. And, you know, I, most Canadians fans have like one eye, over at Cole Caulfield and University of Wisconsin for for that because that fits him perfectly, but in terms of a, a short series, you know if you're only if you're controlling shots and you know you're not giving up many, if your goaltending is good and, and Carey Price can be very good at times, that put plays in your favor, and so it really depends on on the goaltending and it puts pressure on both goaltenders because. You know, if you're facing, you know, 30 shots and you're only going to get about 20, 25, then you know that, you know, your, your goaltending is going to have to be on task. And uh, at the same time, you know, Montreal can't have a goaltender that's going to allow, you know, two goals on, on 23 shots or, or three goals on 23 shots. You're, you're going to need to have, um, it puts more pressure on that side. But yeah, they, they're, they're a very good possession team. All the numbers point towards a very good team. If they had an average power play, they'd probably be a lot higher than they were. If they beat Detroit a few games, they'd probably be a lot higher than they were. You know, the, I think they were eight, eight or ten points out of the playoff spot, and they went 0-4 against Detroit in the season. So, you know, th- those points are not very hard to look for if you're looking at the schedule. I think they lost a, a couple of games to New Jersey as well. I mean, those are those are you know 14 points almost that you're you're kind of throwing away. So. I, I think Montreal is a better team than our typical 12 seed, and I think that that's why there's you know there was some talk about you know the the team that would have to play them in that first round, but you know there's a reason why they were also the 12 seed as well. So is it a strength? Yes, but I mean it, it in a short series anything could happen. So it's it's really hard to to pinpoint that as uh, a tipping point. I I don't think that it necessarily makes them uh, a favorite like some some of the uh, projections i'm seeing like are, are that are purely number based uh, i wouldn't go that far jared what do you think some of montreal's keys to success would be to you know toppling the almighty pittsburgh penguins would it would carry price have to absolutely stand on his head for a five-game series would would it have to be the power play maybe that you brought up the the, the struggling power play where they have to find their group again would, would those be some of the things that you would you would point towards to giving Montreal a chance to win the series? Yeah, I, I think that those are a couple of good places to start. I, I think really when when we talk about Carey Price and you know going back to prime Carey Price, you know, four or five, six years ago, that was a, a player who stood on his head and the team around him was just not very good. Or the system around him was not very good. And when you look at Carey Price and the team right now, I don't think he necessarily has to be, you know, not, not to open up all the wounds, but I don't think he has to be Yaroslav Halak in in, in the, the, you know, 10 years ago. I, I think if he's, he has to be at least good, definitely, for the Canes to have any chance of winning a game. 
if he's great, they have a pretty good chance of winning the series. And if he's phenomenal, then they have a really good chance of winning the series because that's that's the recipe to win, especially in you know in in a random you know four month layoff leading up to this very intense set of games. So the the power play as well, timely scoring. You know the Montreal Canadiens have allowed last minute goals and first minute goals probably more than any other team in the league, and those are just killers. And doesn't matter what team you are you're going to struggle. And just yet, just yet, uh, Tuesday against Toronto, first minute of the game, they allowed a goal. Last minute of the first period, they allowed a goal. And that's just something that you can't do in the playoffs. It, it's going to kill you and and sap all momentum. So th- those are probably the things. Timely goals, goaltending, and the power play. And, and really, you can argue that all three of those kind of coincide into it <laughs> together as well. All right, well, we'll get you out of here with this, and thank you again, everyone. This is Jared from HabsEyesOnThePrize.com, our SBN blog about the Montreal Canadiens. Definitely check them out because they have good stuff going up all the time. Um, Hate to do this to you because I think it's just about an impossibility to predict right now. Who knows what is going to happen or what teams are going to adjust or react. But based on everything you've seen from the preseason game or the exhibition game on Tuesday, the camp – the, knowing the team roster like you do, knowing everybody's form and shape. What is your prediction for Penguins, Canadians? How many games you got? Yeah, I think when you make predictions, especially now, you kind of have to take the most likely scenario. You know, the most likely Penguins team to show up and the most likely Canadians team to show up. I don't think you can count on either team coming at their best. And you don't. I don't think you can necessarily count on them coming at their worst either. So, in the most likely scenario, I would have to say Penguins in four. I think Montreal can sneak out a game uh, in in terms of uh, a series, but yeah, I, I don't think Montreal's uh, going is. There, there's no way to say that Montreal will win this series based on the most likely scenario, and and that's what you do when you make predictions. Having said that, I think that you know with the all the unknowns, if this if this game was happening in in March. I would say I would be even more sure about the Penguins winning because it's coming after 140 or so days without any games. I think that that adds a level of uncertainty that not, that anything can happen. So, you know, I, I do think that there's a reason to watch this series. I'm not saying that it's not going to be, but at the same time, I, I can't, I can't say that, that any scenario that Montreal is going to win, but I think that they can win if that makes sense. That does make sense. I, I think that's reasonable, and that's kind of where I'm at, too. I I think it's a good prediction. Again, uh, well, I'd like to thank you, Jared, for your time and lending your insight uh, into the, what what looks to be, I, I, mean, I don't know if I would call it uh, an, exci- an exciting series, but it's meaningful hockey for both teams nonetheless. So, uh, again, I'd just like to thank you for coming on the podcast and, and sharing some of your insight with us. Thanks for having me. Enjoy thank the you. hockey. Again, our thanks goes out to Deputy Managing Editor of Eyes on the Prize. That was Jared Book once again lending his insight into what Penguins fans should be expecting when the puck finally drops against the Montreal Canadiens. And Jim, I I really, really, really like Jared's insight. He brought a lot of things, you know, because we had been writing for so long about 
the hypotheticals of what we might see against the Canadians. And we kind of already know, and he alluded to it several times throughout the interview, that this isn't a team that is probably going to scare a lot of people. They were selling off a lot of assets at the trade deadline. They probably shouldn't be in this position to begin with. But I think Jared made a pretty good case for for why the Canadians should be taken seriously with their young talent. Uh, Carey Price, of course, we, we know... We, we know Carey Price's reputation. If the Canadians shore up a, a lot of their uh, their issues coming from that power play, uh, I think they might give the Penguins a little bit of a run for their money. What do you think? Could happen. A uh, five-game series is unprecedented in this day and age in the NHL. So short series, anything could really happen. I, you, you never know till you play the games. I, I certainly think the Penguins have a really big advantage on paper, though. So we'll see how it goes. Games aren't played on paper, but... You know, hopefully the Penguins show up, give an honest effort, and I think they'll make reasonable work out of this one. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, and 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 Jared too. He he basically gave the the hefty edge to the Penguins in this series, after really everyone else is picking the Penguins too to probably probably win in a four game series. I, I agree with Jared. I think they'll take the, the Canadians will probably squeak out one game, but I think this is the the, the Penguins series to take in the end. Uh. But, Jim, I think that'll do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. It's kind of crazy to say this, Jim, but the, the, next, the next time we put out an episode of the podcast, one, number one, it'll be in August, which is pretty pretty unusual given, given how the, uh, the NHL offseason typically plays out. But, but the, the more important factor is the next time we put an episode out, the Penguins will have played actual meaningful hockey in roughly four months so we will have a lot to bring you in our next episode of the Pen- the Pensburg podcast with surely we're going to recap uh i believe that by the next time we put an episode out i i think the penguins will have played two games or three games i i forget what the dates of the series were jim maybe you can correct me but the Penguins will probably have played multiple games by the time our next episode of the podcast comes out, which is incredibly exciting nonetheless. Yeah, it'll be great. Finally, some games are here. We've been waiting a long time, and it's kind of hard to believe they're almost here, but hopefully everybody out there enjoys watching them. All right. For Jim Rixner, Hooks Orphic, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you guys next week.